Welcome to the Fearless Sellers, the Women of Amazon podcast. I'm Joey Roberts. One of the other things that when we're going back to either not just in cost of goods, but also understanding, you know, uh, your KPIs, right? What is it that you're looking at? One of the things that, um, you know, we did in Sellable was one of the things that we did in my previous um, business, my brand, was we sold variations. So, you know, I think a lot of people do variations of sizes, colors, things. So you find a product that's doing really well, but now you think, all right, how can I build on the success? And so you do different colors, you do sizes, you do types, whatever. So um, in Sellable, sorry, in Amazon, you've got so a product and you've got children underneath it. One of the things that Seller Mobile does really well that our, our customers really enjoy about it is that um, we will show you the parent product, right? The parent ASIN, and then underneath it, all the children. Hibbo Weber, welcome to the Fearless Sellers, the women of Amazon podcast. As CEO of Seller Mobile, you knew being an entrepreneur was your calling at a young age. Finding gaps in Amazon analytics can be a seller's key to success. I'm so thrilled to discuss this and a whole lot more with you today. So welcome. Thank you for having me, Joey. I'm glad to be here. Well, let's jump right into growing an Amazon business. What are some simple yet really important, maybe even overlooked KPIs, which are key performance indicators that can impact the growth of selling products on Amazon? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the first things that I always think about in terms of managing my business is the operations. And one of the things that I often talk to people about is, um, understanding your numbers without it becoming daunting. You know, so everyone, it's a, a thing that you say in the industry, know your numbers, know your numbers. And oftentimes it's sort of like, okay, well, what numbers do I need to know? And that really depends on where you are in your journey. So if you're starting off, you know, you might obviously think of just, you know, straightforward things like your revenue, right? Understanding your revenue, understanding your profitability, understanding maybe your ad spent, if you've kind of got to that next level and are doing advertising. Yeah. But um, really, it boils down to profitability. And you know this, right? So in any business, like I'm not doing this for fun. I'm not doing this for charity. I'm doing this to make some money at the end of the day. And the key piece here is not just understanding your profitability as a whole, but really understanding it at a unit level. So it's called unit yeah. level economics, which is really mm -hmm. understanding how is this one product doing? And that rule of 80-20 that we've probably heard lots of times, but it's so very, very, very true is in your catalog of all of your products, you've got 20% of your products that are probably making you the most amount of money. And then you've got the 80% that are just there. So that's sort of not as something like, oh, great, that's just how it is. But what we really need to do is how can we hone in on that 20 and how can we make sure that we are really driving profitability there, putting our resources into those products, putting our, you know, just our energy, time, effort into the products that are doing well, rather than thinking the bigger catalog, the more money. And believe me, I've done that before in my own e-commerce business. When things started going really well, I was like, I'm really good at selling stuff. Like I sell these products really well. And then I went to China and I bought a bunch of stuff that did not do as well as I had anticipated. Yes. Because what I didn't understand was that rule of I need to understand not just my overall business, but really understanding at the product level, how are these individual products doing? Yes. And you are speaking my language. I absolutely love that we kick this off on this conversation because I look at 
every single unit. And even before I even pick a product to sell, I'm like, hey, I want to pocket $100 per unit. And to put $100 in your pocket, that margin, if it's going to be anywhere from you know 35 to 50% margin, I'm going to be have to s- sell a product that costs a lot more money than, you know, $30 retail on Amazon. So I love that you're talking like down to the unit because most of the time we talk about margins as a whole, but I love talking it per product and even per unit. Another thing to bring up per unit is how do you approach it if say, you know, this month I bought my product for $10 for my supplier, but next month when demand is higher, I buy it for $14. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So understanding sort of, so one of the things that we do in seller mobile is we help you keep track of your cost of goods, right? Without your cost of goods, without your expenses, you could look, look at sort of great top line, you know, revenue numbers and say, I'm doing really well. I'm making a ton of money but not realizing that I was getting it for $10. Now I'm getting it for $14. That $4 makes a huge difference when you're selling thousands and thousands of products, right? And so um, understanding how my trends are going in terms of my cost of goods. So Seller Mobile allows you to add in your cost of goods for different shipments or for different time periods. So you can actually go back and see, has my cost of goods in general gone up? And then, you know, one of the things that allowed us to, so in 2019, um, I think we may or may not have talked about this in person. But in 2019, I exited my brand. And one of the key factors of that exit and that exit being successful was that um, and a competitor actually bought our business. Um, is they looked at how we had done rate shopping just over the course of, you know, we were sort of young hot shots that had just come into the market, a market that was really dominated by these legacy brands that had been around for a long time. And they had suppliers that they had had for a really long time. And what they weren't doing is they weren't rate shopping. So you just sort of take it for granted. You're like, okay, this is what it costs. You know, eventually just for inflation, you add a few cents here or there, you know, over time that goes up. But they weren't being very strategic and going to different suppliers and making sure that, hey, can I get the best deal possible? And so that's something that we were doing. And having that um, that cognition really allowed us to be really competitive and, you know, exit at a great, and then as soon as literally, as soon as we exited, the um, the owner of the other business went to China the next day and said, I'm switching suppliers because the rate that you guys have um, for, you know, what, that you're getting for these products is, is unbeatable. And so you can't realize that you can't do the rate shopping, you can't do the comparison unless you're tracking this data. And, and that is really key. And it can be cumbersome, but it's so very important. Yeah. And look at that. I mean, that's a really good example. And you sold the business and you helped him with his business as a whole. And he got a piece of yours to roll in and now you just made him a whole lot more money. So really amazing when you can exit and they can see the runway, like they can see why your business is so valuable. And that was a a huge thing for me when I was selling my business is I wanted to have stuff like that to impress them to say it of course you're going to buy this business like i have done all this amazing work to set it up for you so congratulations on the exit by the way that's a huge accomplishment thank you 
Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the other things that when we're going back to, they're not just in cost of goods, but also understanding, you know, uh, your KPIs, right? What is it that you're looking at? One of the things that, um, you know, we did in Sellable was one of the things that we did in my previous um, business, my brand, was we sold variations. So, you know, I think a lot of people do variations of sizes, colors, things. So you find a product that's doing really well, but now you think, all right, how can I build on the success? And so you do different colors, you do sizes, you do types, whatever. So um, in Seller Mobile, sorry, in Amazon, you've got so a product and you've got children underneath it. One of the things that Seller Mobile does really well that our, our customers really enjoy about it is that um, we will show you the parent product, right? The parent ASIN and then underneath it, all the children. So now I'm looking at when it comes to profitability, I'm not looking at this for like an ASIN as a whole, but I'm also not looking at it as a SKU. I'm looking at it from a completely different perspective to understand within this product set, which variations are actually doing well and which aren't. So you kind of take it, you can't look at it just sort of in a very simplistic way. You've got to like kind of change lenses when you're looking at data. And th that is really one of the keys. So if you're selling a variation, understand for this entire category, how am I doing? But then underneath that category, how are the different children doing? Are some children cannibalizing the others? Where if you got rid of maybe the color red and blue and you focused on black and yellow, I'm obviously just saying random things now, sure. but black and yellow, I would actually make a lot more money for this product as a whole. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I've had variations, three variations. And one of them just kept getting negative reviews because it's all, you know, under the parent. I looked at it and I was like, I just need to put this one out of stock forever because yeah. something just wasn't clicking and wasn't working. And also the other two were doing so well that I didn't have, I didn't have time. And also this is my first year of selling, but I didn't have time to fix that one. So I thought, well, I'm just going to take it out of stock. And I left the like contact information. So if somebody really wanted it, they could contact me, but there's definitely something wrong with that variation. So I love that you brought that up and we do see that. And, you know, I'm a Amazon selling coach. And one of the common themes that we talk about when people are launching product is how many sizes can I launch with? How many different variations can I launch with? And I like to give advice of, you know, no more than four. But to me, four is a lot. I would say, hey, let's do two. That's what I do with yeah. my own products. Like if I'm launching something in black and pink, I just do black and pink and add later. But yeah, I like to know from your side, it's like you can go back and be like, hey, we can really dig into the, the analytics. So, I mean, that's a that's a really uh, smart approach. Yeah. So, I mean, that's exactly what you're teaching, right? You're teaching all of this in your course that, hey, I, you need to be looking at these different data points, but then... How, well, how do you collect all this data and how much time do you want to spend collecting this data? And so um, I don't know about sort of for you, but um, something that we actually implement within Seller Mobile, and I've done this in uh, previous companies as well, is just the EOS model, um, which is the entrepreneur's organization system. And essentially what you're doing is you're really spending, you know, carving out um, some like I would say maybe an hour of your week. It doesn't need to be extensive. You don't need to spend hours and hours just collecting data, but you take out an hour 
of, of, of your week. And in that time, we sit together for different departments and we go through the, the most important things that we are trying to focus on. So the needle movers for our business um, that we want to collect data on and understand. And they change quarter over quarter. Like it's not the same thing all the time. So if I'm really focused on marketing this time and I'm really focused on product development or I'm really focused on customer churn, whatever the case may be. And I know I'm talking about software here as opposed to Amazon. But the same principles apply, you know, so if you're focusing on this is a season where I am trying to build, to, you know, add to my catalog, or this is a season where I'm trying to like, find how to kill a product because this product just isn't doing well. And I've spent so much time and energy and money I've poured into this. Yeah. And it's just not moving to understand, all right, well, how do I move past this? But you can't do any of that unless you're spending, you know, consistently, time of your week where you're looking at data to be able to see trends. You won't spot trends in your dreams. You know, you won't spot trends randomly. You have to do it in a consistent way that allows you to be super focused and say, all right, that these are the decisions I'm making based on this data that's been collected over time. Yeah, that's good advice for any, any and all businesses. It's digging into your data and I don't love to do it. I have spreadsheets. I'll be excited when I create the spreadsheet and I'll fill it out and then I get busy or I, you know, I run two, well, three actually of my own businesses. And it's really easy for me to just get distracted because I love marketing and I love the algorithms and I'll spend time there. And I do need to get better at carving out more time to dig into the spreadsheets. So yeah, good tip. We can all implement that all across the board. So let's talk about you as an entrepreneur because you, from what I remember talking to you, you were kind of shy when you were younger, but you always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, I was. I was a nasty little kid. <laughs> and then, um, you know, all throughout high school too, I was like the nerd that was like in all these AP classes that would just sort of, you know, just like go through my day without like, you know, wanting any attention on me. And I still, there's still a part of me that does that. So even doing things like this, it's like, all right, I really got to like push myself to go out there um, and put myself out there on camera. I love it. Um, but, you know, you have to, you have to keep challenging yourself. Um, but entrepreneurship is it's really interesting because it's been it's sort of been generational for me my great-grandfather was an entrepreneur my grandfather my dad my mom uh, my brother like all of us seem to you know we kind of went the traditional route of like doing a job because that's what you're supposed to do you know out of college you're supposed to get a job yep. and quickly found out that there's just something always like tugging at you you know there's like this part of you and and I was actually listening to a podcast not too long ago that was talking about even within a job you can um you know foster and grow that entrepreneurial spirit of like it's those people that want to do a little extra it's the people that actually take initiative to um you know think of an idea and and, and pitch something to their bosses and you know eventually you kind of you know gather the courage or the capital or um, just the resources or the support to, you know, go out into the world kind of on your own and then kind of put all that trust on yourself. And that can be really powerful. And it's, it's a really great journey to go through. And so um, I don't know if I thought about it as like this big old leap, because I think there was always something in me that kind of was craving this 
this this independence from you know like a nine to five or where like things are just really constrained and I just had to do the tasks that I was given. Um, so I've I think always been entrepreneurial in that even in jobs where I've just made taken the extra initiative and made that effort to do a little bit more than I than I maybe that was assigned to me. So. Yeah, exactly. And that's like the best employee, right? Is you yeah. <laughs> want to go above and beyond. But I will say sometimes in your corporate job, it's not really appreciated by a boss when you're like, hey, I have an idea. And I hate to bring this up, but similar to me, it's like we're small, cute girls. And when we were in our 20s, it was like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever, cute, cute idea. And I didn't always feel heard, but it never really stopped me from sharing. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Because there, it's, you sort of can't help yourself. You can't help yourself to say like, well, I think, I think I could do this better. I think I could do this faster. I think I could just make this more efficient. And, um, and then I think if it doesn't, you know, it doesn't pan out with your environment, you just can't help yourself, but like, you know, venture out and try to do it yourself and then find a team that will support your ideas and, and your initiatives. So Yes, exactly. I was always reading books when my first job was at NBC News in San Francisco. And I was always pitching ideas. And I was this very small, young kid, I mean, in my 20s. But I was reading books like Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. And I was reading these like pump me up to be assertive books, which you're now pointing out. And I'm realizing like that was an entrepreneurial spirit because I was like, hey, I'm not just going to sit here and wait to be told to do stuff. Like I want to, I want to change the workplace and change my environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. So and then so, what happened? So rewarding. Yeah. So, um, so what happened was around that time, my brother, um, and a friend of his, um, they, and that sort of became all of our, our friends together is they had launched this brand, um, and it was in, um, sort of custom, um, custom stuff. So custom t-shirts, custom bands, wristbands, things like that. And so they introduced us to, um, to some of their suppliers and we kind of went into this like glow led product, kind of party supply product. And, um, it was around the time where I was kind of all over the place. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I went to, the, I was in the Peace Corps. I was like, I love to travel. I'm going to do something that's adventurous and exciting. I came back and I said, all right, well, I'd apply to grad school. Uh, but throughout all of this, I was, part of this company. It wasn't doing it full time. So my brother was doing it full time. He, you know, roped in my dad. He roped in my mom to a certain extent. He roped in his <laughs> wife. And so we were all kind of doing this, um, this together. And, and I was, you know, back and forth a little bit. And I was working throughout grad school for the company. I just remember like, you know, like doing the catalog stuff. So, um, you know, where just like writing descriptions of stuff and, and, and just like, you know, editing pictures and images and all of this stuff. And so, um, we were doing this. And when I was done, I, um, you know, kind of started spending more time. And then, in, like I said, we grew the company. And this is a company that started with, um, and this was the first time any of us, so my brother and I had ever had, you know, a business. So we learned a lot. We made a ton ton, a ton of mistakes. But each of those mistakes taught us something that we could, you know, employ for like the next phase of our business. So we're like, oh, crap, we shouldn't have done that. That was a huge mistake. Yeah. But at the same time, we're like, hey, we're really good at being agile. We are not stuck in old ways. We're not like just because it was done this way, we have to continue doing it this way. And that agility that we had and that ability to be just flexible and move things and change things 
things really allowed us to grow pretty um, fast. And um, and like I mentioned, so one of our competitors noticed who had, you know, they're like these little young, you know, hot shots, like young kids are coming into ASD and like taking over and they're like, where did this come from? And so they started kind of taking notice and came up to us and said, hey, are you interested in exiting? And we thought, oh, an exit sounds cool. <laughs> We've never sure. done before. <laughs> and so, um, and so while at the same time, what we had realized what had really separated us and distinguished us from our competitors in the market was not just this ability to be agile and, 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 and super flexible, but really the, the technology that we were so data oriented, um, unlike some of our competitors who mm -hmm. had these like huge mammoth companies they didn't even understand the ins and outs of sometimes. And so because they had grown so large and because it was so departmentalized and things weren't, you know, really, really close to the owner anymore. Yeah. Which tends to happen with any growing empire, right? Is things then sort of yeah. just, you know, fragment. And, um, but we were really good at leveraging technology. And so around that same time, we thought, okay, you know what? We've built all of these um, operations around our business and we could, you know, sell this. We could sell these operations and these strategies and really the software that it's become, the operations that kind of translated into a software. And that was the birth of Seller Mobile. And so we took Seller ah. Mobile and we said, all right, well, what can we do? So, you know, there was a time when um, repricing, because a lot of our customers were wanting a repricer at the time. You know, this is like 20 years ago, Amazon. And so we had built a repricer. And then, you know, a few years later, inventory became a huge part of running an Amazon, a successful Amazon business is managing inventory well. And so we went into inventory management. And so um, we just constantly saw the issues that were coming up and we tried to address those issues like any company would or any, any successful yeah. entrepreneur would. And that's really kind of how Seller Mobile became what it is today. So let's talk about repricing now. Um, that's interesting to me. And uh, well, let's give the listeners just a little overview of when we're talking about repricing, what that is and why it's important. So in terms of the repricing that we still do today um, is really not for those private label sellers that you work with, though that repricing that we do is still for um, brands that are competing for the buy box with other sellers. Got and it. so one of the things that we are looking into transitioning into is how do we enable that for private label sellers, right? So how do we allow you to look at your competitors? How do we allow you to look at, you know, profitability over time, your costs, your fees, all of that, your, you know, your inventory, your, um, your sell through rates, things like that to be able to change those prices. But the way it stands right now is for like a different business model, um, which is um, when you've got competitors that you are sharing that listing with. Yeah, to, to win the buy box. Yeah, and the buy box is always a hot topic. And I do like to stress that with like private label, when you first start out, you might not have the buy box because Amazon's waiting to trust you. And they'll say, instead of giving you the buy box, which by the way, everybody, the buy box is the buy now where you swipe it to the right and you just buy right away. Everybody wants that, but private label mostly gets that other people selling the exact same products from a company have to compete for it. And that used to be a really hot topic. And one of the things I love about Amazon is they it is always changing. And Amazon's learning more about sellers and, and how to um, enhance things. So being an Amazon coach, it's always exciting. It's like, oh, the buy box is 
is now switched to this and we can't do uh, this type of stuff for reviews now. So we always try to stay on top of it. So that's the best part also with this podcast and having you on. It's like, this is like real time stuff we're, we're talking about for like here and now that everybody can implement with like KPIs and what's happening with Amazon. And um, Seller Mobile is also... Um, you're leveraging stuff for for Walmart as well, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so we know that, you know, a lot of people, I mean, obviously, even when we've got sellers that are selling on different marketplaces, Amazon still tends to be, you know, a majority of their business and where the revenue is coming from. However, you know, a lot of times we're talking about diversifying, right? So if you've got a really good product and you know that you can make it fit in certain markets, then it's really important for you to, if you build this great brand that has a great following, you know, going to Shopify, going to Walmart, going to sort of different places where you can, you know, just spread as wide as you can. And so, you know, in terms of spreading and growth, there's different philosophies, right? There is some people that want to add more products to the catalog. There's some people that want to really niche down and focus on maybe, you know, put more money into inventory and, and grow because they know they can get the sales. But then there's that other, you know, piece of, you know, growing in terms of marketplaces. And so, um, I think that it's really important to be able to for certain and, and and it's you have to be cautious and I don't know how much co coaching you do in terms of Walmart is you've got yeah. a different clientele, right? You've got different people that are buying that and you have to understand that. And so if you've got some products that do really well that would do really well in that and you've done the research and you've seen what other people are selling, I know people that are just like have invested in Walmart and have really grown in Walmart because the types of stuff they're selling just does really well on the Walmart marketplace. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. And even it's like products that I'm selling on Amazon, I might not sell on Walmart. And then I might find a product that I just want to sell on Walmart. And that was pretty eye opening to me when I started digging into Walmart. And y'all listening, Walmart is like Amazon many years ago. Like it's not that Amazon is saturated, but Walmart, there's a lot of opportunity and it's growing quickly, but you'd be amazed at what products aren't even being sold on Walmart yet that seem like they're all over Amazon already. Absolutely. And one of the things is I think Walmart's making to their, to the best of their ability, they're making efforts to court sellers, um, which is not necessarily the case with Amazon, right? So Amazon's <laughs> like, all right, we get it. Like everyone's going to start here. Like they're not like trying to get that first date, whereas Walmart is, if they are really willing to work with you and to, to you know, sort of to, to help you and hold your hand um, a little bit more because they want those sellers, especially if you're an established seller and, and you know, can, you can show, hey, look, I do really well. I want, you know, someone to like, help me through this. Um, and so, yeah, so now we're connected to the Walmart API as well. So one of the things that you can see, it's the whole idea of like understanding your business from like the top to the bottom, right? So understanding, you know, how you do in all the marketplaces or understanding maybe the different stores that you have. Maybe you've, you know, over time acquired different stores and you're like, this does really well. I know how to do this. Well, maybe I'll buy another store. And that's, that's, you don't need to be an aggregator to do that. You can also be a small business person and say, hey, this opportunity came up. I'm going to purchase this store. So how you're doing store-wise, how you're doing specifically under, you know, the Amazon marketplaces. 
and then to look at it from, you know, a, at the store level and then look at it at, you know, a parent level to look at it at a child level to look at it at a skew level. And that's one of the things that it's so important is to start broad and then really narrow down to understand. Because the thing is, you can't really make changes at your company level. But you can make changes at the product level. You can make changes at the SKU level, you know, how you advertise it, how you package it, how you yeah. list it, price that you're selling it for. Um, and so, but understanding and setting goals at all those different levels will really help, help you kind of navigate how you want to treat that individual product. Yes. Great advice. Love that. Looking at high level, but all the way down to at specific each product level. And also a little bit on the inventory is I, I ran out of inventory, I think it was like five times in one year. And it, it was hard. And I know you, if I knew you then you would have given me the advice to really look at how much money I lost doing that, right? Like, I had to calculate what did those sales cost my business? Probably, I think it was somewhere around $80,000 could have been more because being out of stock, especially around the holidays where I think I was out of stock two weeks before Christmas. Wow. And some of that inventory was, was one, I was a new seller. I had the fear of ordering, over-ordering inventory. And I kind of had the projections and supply and demand was a little tricky. So I would normally say, hey, I'm an aggressive seller. But at that moment, I was being more conservative than I needed to be and cost my company money. And I didn't wasn't using inventory management. I was using a spreadsheet that I did not like to look at. Fair enough. You know, actually, we actually have a widget in Seller Mobile um, and it's called Lost Sales Due to Out of Stock. And so we uh, will tell you, and it's right there, kind of in your face, and we will tell you in the next 60 days um, how much you are going to lose because of out of stock. So we obviously, we forecast, and the way we can tell you that is we forecast your future sales for you. And then we tell you how much inventory we show you, how much inventory you have. And based on your forecasted sales in your current inventory and your sell through rate, we'll tell you if you do not restock by this date, this many items, you are going to lose this much money in these many orders. And when you look at that, it can be really jarring. And so yeah. you know, crap. Like, I don't, I don't want that. You know, we used to show um, in the same widget, we used to have a past loss sales and we just thought, all right, this is good information, but I can't, it's not an action. It's not actionable information. Like boohoo me. I lost, like you feel right. Right. Boohoo yeah. me. I lost all this money, but you know what? How do I prevent this from happening in the future? And so now the widget's been simplified and it's like in the next 60 days, you still have time to change this in the next 60 days. If you do not restock, this much by this date, you are going to lose this much money in these many orders, you know, keeping it really simple and just sort of really jarring and say, oh, crap, I better, I better make that purchase order or, you know, that re FBA restock plan right away because I don't want that to happen. Yeah. And that's a nice like reminder to have right in front of your face all the time because it's easy to just get distracted and not worry about it. But yeah, staying on top of inventory and also over ordering inventory, like the, the, Inventory, now that I had went through zero to a million in 12 months, the inventory is what can really make or break a business. Because at the beginning, over-ordering inventory 
the way that Amazon, you know, you don't get paid and, <laughs> and it's, you know, first in, first out type yeah. with your books, you can overspend and go under too. So yeah, digging in and paying attention to that. Yeah, we have this, um, we have this, um, <clears throat> this data point within our inventory forecast. Um, that's the deviation. So essentially, what we're saying is, um, this is how much you sold in the past. Um, this is what you've sold this year, or like last week or, or last month, however you want to look at the data. And then we say, um, this is what we're predicting you're going to sell. So this is the forecast number. And then right underneath that is the deviation. So essentially what we're telling you is you get to set the deviation. You say that, hey, you know what? Anytime I am, let's say 20%, let's just be really generous, 20% over or under that deviation so that where the actual sales deviate from the forecasted sales, because remember, I'm creating that purchase order based on the forecasted sales, yeah. is um, send me a notification. Tell me that I am over or under. So let's say that you are under. So let's say you expected to sell 100 pieces and instead you sold 70 pieces. So you're under. You're like, oh, crap, I did not sell as much as I expected. So let me go in. Let me see what my competitors are pricing this item at. Let me go look at my um, my listing. Let me go look at, you know, um, all of these things that I could look at that help me understand. Maybe my advertising isn't performing the way I expected it to. Mm. On the flip side, let's say that I am, so you, you can make some decisions out of that or I take actions out of that. On the flip side, I anticipated selling 100 units. That's what I you know sent into Amazon FBA. But really, I've already sold 150 for that month or for that week, let's say. Well, I can say, oh, crap, like that's also not good. Yeah, I really pat on my back. I sold way more than I anticipated. Yep. But at the same time, if I do not restock appropriately, that 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 buffer that I'd given myself is is gone, and now I you know have lost sales because of out of stock. So understanding kind of both ends of it, like you said, and having a system that will notify you that hey, look, there's a deviation. It's it's you know you could set it at ten percent if you want to, or five percent if you're sort of very specific. Is yeah. tell me either way. Tell me if I'm underselling or overselling, so I can go and make adjustments based on that data. And it's not at the end of the quarter or the end of the year. It's right. done on a daily or weekly or monthly basis. So you can actually take action right away. Yeah. And most sellers, well, let me not say most sellers. A lot of sellers will see that they're selling really well and get nervous about their inventory. And that's when you go and raise your price. And for me, I did that. I kept raising my price when I was a new seller. and it did not slow down. And mm -hmm. I grew my margin very well through that time. So there was a lesson in there. But um, I also like to say, have an actual pricing plan going into this and what price you want to get at, not a panic of, oh, I'm selling too much. I'm going to raise my price because from my experience, it, it did not slow my sales. Um, it annoyed some people that the price was going up and up, but, um, you know, that's a whole other branding issue. Then it's like, they're not going to trust my brand as much because all of a sudden the price just slowly inches up. So definitely yeah. great advice. And if, if congratulations to everybody whose products just start flying off the shelves, but watch your pricing and, uh, like, like you're saying, control your inventory. All right. Let's, um, go into 
a little bit about um, the landscape of e-commerce right now evolving. And I love that you're a seller, you exited, and then you saw gaps in analytics and you created Seller Mobile. And so you've been in this evolving landscape for a long time. Like, how are you feeling about like, you know, 2024 and where this is headed? Like, what are you excited about? Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things about Amazon is, oh, it, keep, it keeps you on your toes. Like it's, it's never like, oh, I've been there, done that. You know, this is getting old now. Um, <laughs> I think that um, in terms of, you know, from where I started to where it is now, it has clearly become more competitive, more mature, and just more, um, more, uh, I think when it first started, it was like Joe Schmo would just get in there and just start selling and it was fine. Like it was the Wild West. That is no longer the case. Right. Um, while that's being said, you know, though it's more mature, there are plenty, a plenty of resources available that weren't available, you know, 15 years ago. There wasn't a software like ours 15 years ago um, or any of the other ones on the market. And so um, just the whole landscape, it's becoming more mature. Um, there are tons more resources. There's plenty of opportunity. It's really about, and this is one of the things that I was on another podcast um, recently, and I was talking about staying close to home, um, you know, and, and anytime you're like looking, you're interested in doing something rather than going really far fetched and saying like, I could do anything, anything's a possibility. You want to stay close to what you feel passionate about and what you know and what you understand. So even if it is, you know, going to e-commerce, like think of your own interests, think of things that you purchase online, think of things that your friends do, think that things that you are really passionate about, or, or maybe you could learn to be passionate about, um, that, start there, you know, start your research there rather than just looking at random things. If you've got something going already, do that. Um, because it'll be a lot easier to transition then. And so if you're into, I think you're, you, you're into workout, you're working out, right? Like workout stuff, yes, workout brand. Love working out. <laughs> so the, the idea is like, you are sticking to what you know, same for me, you know, we had we when we started our business, it wasn't some random thing. We had a friend who knew something about this market who was willing to guide us. And so it was um, it was really doing that sort of very strategically. So um, lots of possibilities, you know, do the thing that you know well um, and build upon that. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, you know, it takes time. You have to be patient. Um, and then do the unsexy stuff with business. Like that that's right. the thing about businesses. There's a lot of as exciting as it is, it's entrepreneurial life. There is a lot of unsexy, like you said, looking at spreadsheets for a while to really understand it. And don't forego any of that because to build something really sexy, you have to do like the boring, nerdy stuff. Um, otherwise it becomes really fleeting. So um, that and then consistency probably is like the number one thing with just anything in life is you can't do it once and then say, all right, good job. I did it. Um, but you've got to do it. You know, you've got to create an, a, a system for yourself that you can sort of replicate that over and over again and then be able to monitor the results. So those are like a few kind of different things that I think would be there's really important in, in not just 2024, but really sort of in general in business. It is. And one of the things you're touching on is staying true to your brand and building a brand. And that's what Amazon really cares about now and going forward. And they're looking for sellers to 
invest in their brand, their brand presence, which is different. And, and I know that that's going to continue. And those are the Amazon brands that are going to set themselves apart. And I've never been scared of competition because I'm like, I can outsell you and I can build a better brand. And I put in the consistency and the hard work. And I love that that you have that understanding and you do it too. And congrats on all your success. And thank you for wanting to make the seller landscape even better with Seller Mobile. That's amazing. Absolutely. That's the goal. Like, I mean, that really is. There's like, I think that I feel like my passion is helping other people find their success. And, um, and that is, and that's really what I get to do. And what I really enjoy is a lot giving people that opportunity to, to kind of grow their brands and things that they care about. And so it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fun ride. Yes. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on and I hope to see you at some of these awesome Amazon events coming up because we met at one of the most awesome events out on the beach, um, I guess a year ago now. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, until next time, stay fearless. Thanks, Joey. If you're already selling on Amazon or you're looking to get started and you want my help, go to amzfearless.com to book a free strategy selling session. We can see if we can help you out. That's amzfearless.com. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Fearless Sellers, the Women of Amazon podcast. Until next time, stay fearless. Fearless.